Hello and welcome to Joel Marshall's Lunch Therapy Interview Fridays. We do a show weekdays at noon Pacific time that streams out to Facebook and YouTube and all that. Uh, you can go to joelmarshall.com to see those links. You can see past episodes. Uh, but today we're sitting down with actor, comedian, and spiritual therapist, Sarah Taylor. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Sarah Taylor, here she is. So today's interview is with Sarah Taylor. Sarah, Sarah and I know each other from CalArts many years ago, not so many years ago. She is a, an actor and a comedian, and she's a, a healer and a spiritual mentor. And I'm so, so glad to have you here on the show. Bella, I'm so glad to be here. Yay. Yay. So, so Sarah, Sarah and I you know, kind of know each other. What, Sarah had a bit, big impact on my life because years ago I wanted to get into comedy again and I didn't really know how and somebody well she invited me to her show I think I maybe got an yeah. email from you or yeah, something yeah. Like that. and I, I went and after the show I talked to you and you said oh well you should uh, meet my friend Cynthia Levine because she was there that night she happened to be there that night <laughs> Cynthia was right there at the show yeah. and, and so I was she, like well she teaches comedy she go teaches see her comedy you should take her workshop so I took her workshop and that's really what started me doing comedy seriously um, great and also I'm Cynthia so is a long long time friend of mine now she's so amazing and a mentor yeah. so I thank you for that this is my chance sure my goodness of course um, you were you I remember that night you were so fun I was just telling my husband I was like remember that guy Joel from Akbar like 10 years ago <laughs> and he's like yeah, I do. Really? <laughs> yeah, he says hi. Yeah, tell him I said hi too. Yeah. Um, well, okay, so I don't know that much about you. I, I have been following you through, uh, I guess, Facebook and a lot of different things. Yeah. Seeing all the different things that you've been doing. Um, but I wanted to find out, like, okay, where are you from? Let's just start with that. I am from Northern California. Uh -huh. I uh, was born in Mountain View, California, and I lived in Sunnyvale and Gilroy before moving to beautiful Los Angeles to go to CalArts. So you moved to, you moved to Los Angeles to go to CalArts. And yeah. what was your CalArts experience like? I, mean, I, I was with you there at the time I saw <sighs> you, but I, you know, I don't know. We all had different experiences. We were all so busy too. It was like, we all were in our own like classes. You were in the MFA program like a year behind, ahead yeah, of me. Behind yeah. Or, I don't know. or behind, you're younger than me. So, yeah. um, yeah, uh, it was, it was cool. I mean, I think I arrived thinking that I was going to, you know, everybody was going to be very serious and like, you know, we were all going to be like doing Shakespeare all the time. And I, I wanted kind of like a stricter experience. And what I got was like, you know, naked people lounging at the pool and like people uh, developing an avant-garde theater piece where I stand on a toilet screaming ranch dressing like a hundred <laughs> times. Yeah, it was definitely... So bizarre i mean it was bizarre i didn't really I'm know glad. what i was getting into when i went there you I didn't had, either wow i had gone there i was living in chicago at the time yeah and i was working at steppenwolf theater and i really decided that i wanted to get a master's degree that somehow that would make things legitimate for me make everything all better right make everything all better and so i went i crashed a bunch of auditions at a hotel in chicago and i had crashed signed, yeah i hadn't signed up i remember i went into the yale audition <laughs> and the, the guy came, the guy was like, who are you? He was had one of those, you know, voice things. Oh, and no. I was, like, I was like, I'm Joel Marshall. And he was like, get out. 
And then I kind of bumbled into the Cal Arts audition. And they were, you know, I did my thing. I did my. They were like, whatever, come on in. You don't have an appointment. We don't care. They were totally groovy. And I had heard about. I had heard about Cal Arts because my dad is an artist and I grew up in Seattle and okay. he had introduced me to a friend of his who went to Cal Arts and I guess he just thought maybe that might be an interesting thing for me to find out about. I was going, I was an undergrad at the time and that guy told me all these cool stories about his uh-huh. experience at this place called Cal Arts, but that was kind of the end of it. And then I really wasn't until I got accepted that I was like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go. Oh my God. And so I went out to Los Angeles thinking, you know, in your mind, you have an idea of what Los Angeles is like. And certainly Santa Clarita is not that idea. <laughs> no. Because Cal Arts is out in Santa Clarita in a very sort of, I don't know, like a conservative kind of. Totally. Yeah. Place. Did you have that? Was that shocking to you as well? Um, it didn't. I mean, it just felt like a small town and I was so insular like on the hill with the other Calartians that like we'd venture down to like the grocery store once a week and and be around like the normal people in town and be like, oh, they're so conservative. But it was never like, oh my God, like what if I get, it's just like, yay, I get to go back up into the little bubble on the hill. I remember Um, when uh, Tim Burton made Edward Scissorhands, apparently. Yeah the castle where where Edward Scissorhands came from is supposed to be Cal Arts. Oh, and then right. I think I had heard that too, because he went there. Is, yeah. is like Santa Clarita. Um, not, not, I mean, Santa Clarita has changed a lot since we've been yeah. here. At the time, I was surprised because I was a vegetarian at the time and uh, I lived in Canyon Country. Oh, yeah. Canyon Country was like super. Yee! Yeah, like, oh. like I think they, you know, I don't, yeah, it was very conservative and not yeah. what I expected. Oh, you were living in Canyon Country. See, I lived on campus. Did you? Which must have been really bizarre because they have the, the, the pool that is clothing optional. And yeah, is it still clothing optional? I imagine it is, In this right? day and age. In this day and age? <clears throat> I don't know. It's a good question. You know, it's like, please, you're crossing my boundaries, but I don't want to have to look at your dick, you know, like, but I can just I imagine. That, you know, and the thing about Cal Arts is the, the rule was there are no rules, you know? I right. Mean, eventually, there were, I heard there was, I never saw this, but there was apparently a guy who went to class every day dressed as a dog and, like, would throw dog food at himself. <laughs> there was... <laughs> What program was he in? I have no, probably the probably art the program. art department or the probably and then the there was a, I remember one time there was a you remember when there was a cardboard box in the in the um, main gallery? Yes. You could like there was like a hole you could look in there and there was yeah. all kinds of weird sexual activity going on in there. There were yes. boxes on there and you could you could get like different sexual favors by going in the box, I guess, and they were really inexpensive. And then the, the really expensive one was- like, Oh, I'm not familiar with this box. Oh, they will read poetry to you. That was like $50 or something like that if they read poetry, but otherwise- Whoa. Yeah, it was pretty intense. I think there were other people um, piggybacking on the whole, like, let's put a cardboard box in the middle of the gallery kind of thing. Uh, Cause I think there were a few inst- installations that were, that involved a cardboard box. But it was surprises. Cool, it was, it's such a cool concept to have all the arts under one roof like that. What a great! It it really thing. was. I mean, I think with acting, there was some there was discipline that was needed. We needed to work our voices and text analysis and speech and mm-hmm. theater history and rehearse and do all this stuff. And and uh, you know, and then we'd see like the art the people in the art department just sort of like what you know, like getting high and going to class and like. I mean, it. All the schools felt very 
because they're not called departments at CalArts, they're called schools. So we were in the theater school. Yeah. And so the theater school felt very different from the school of animation, yes. the school of art, the school of dance. Oh, for sure, yeah. Uh, school of animation, I mean... People they, hardly even graduated from there because people were getting jobs like when they were sophomores. And yeah. As soon as you got accepted yeah. to CalArts, it was like you were, a, you were on the job market. Yeah, totally. Yeah. If you were an animator at CalArts, you were guaranteed work. All those people are, have paid off their student loans by now. Yeah. So please call me and let's talk because <laughs> I have a few student loans. <laughs> yeah. You so know. yeah. So uh, the idea also was that we would all collaborate together. But mm -hmm. it seemed like with the theater department, we were so busy doing our thing. We were like super busy. The idea busy. of collaboration. I did, I did take a piano class. That's and cool. It was cool. It was, I had a tutor and I had, I had some knowledge of the piano. I played yeah. piano a little bit. But this, this girl was on another level, man. She, was, she gave me the hardest piano piece ever. Oh, of course. Some kind of Chopin. I think it was called, noc it was a nocturne. A nocturne. And, and it was, some, sometimes there would be a measure where there'd be way too many notes in it. And somehow <laughs> you were Way to too many it. notes. It was like, it was like Amadeus. <laughs> too many notes. And so I, I um, yeah, I would try and play it, but then she would be like, no, no. Imagine a waterfall. That's what she kept saying. Ima imagine imagine a nice, easy, relaxed <laughs> waterfall. And you're like, <laughs> so She tense. was like some incredible piano player. I mean, she would play Wow. Uh, it was incredible. Um, but when I would play it, I couldn't think of a waterfall because I was too busy trying to jam yeah, all the notes in there. Yeah. 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 There's so, really talented people went really there. Talented My people. goodness. Yeah. And what was your experience when you got out of CalArts? So where did you go after oh. that? Yeah, let's get, let's get through the pain. Because you know what? <laughs> we are looking at, this week we're looking at uh, self-improvement. Oh, and so okay. a lot of us are, you know, going through difficult times now. You know, we need we need tools. We need tools. So yeah. I want to hear about, you know, how you got to to be where you are with your spiritual healing, et cetera. And I'm sure there's some pain <gasps> that you went through, right? Um, well, yeah. I mean, my upbringing was not the happiest. Um, I, you know, it was to, as like anybody getting into the arts, they're like you know, come from a background of some sort of challenge, uh, turbulence, trauma, and then they're like, I'm an artist. Um, yes, you are. It's a perfect Petri dish. Um, well, I graduated and I promptly became a waitress. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everybody has to do that. But I was like, oh my God, oh my God. You know, I just kind of wasn't equipped. I had never um, <clears throat> done any kind of uh, introspection or uh, looking inward. I was a very much a codependent uh, person. Mm -hmm. um, and so my antenna was always outside of me, like, how's everybody else doing? If everybody, if everybody else is okay, then I'll be okay. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, I came from such turbulence. Um, then, you know, then you walk out into the world as an adult with those same patterns in place. So um, I couldn't like turn the lens back in on me and go, hey, what's going on in here? go get some therapy, go get some trauma work done. Like what's going on girl. So I sort of um, had a real rocky time through my twenties. Um, kind of not really feeling like I belonged in the entertainment industry. Um, but yet like getting an agent and going on the auditions and you know, things started happening. Oh, I, I like a year 
after graduation, I was like, screw this. I'm going to move to Chicago where they appreciate theater because yeah. I was still in my, where, where's the art in this? You well, know, did you I come guess, out with a sort of like, I have a degree in theater, so I'm ready to, you know, I'm so much better than, than lots of other people. Or whatever. You know, I, I came out with kind of that. A, I came out with a kind of a chip on my shoulder. Um, you know, like I had an agent that asked me to do soap operas and I was like, you're like a you're soap, soap opera. <laughs> don't you know who I am? No, like you're gonna no I don't. That's yeah, right. Uh, no, it wasn't that I thought it was better. It was just like, um, there was like this real seriousness with which I took yeah. acting and art. And I, every time I do it, I just, I put it on a little bit because I was a little goofy back then, but I took it very seriously. I remember there was- Me too. Yes, there, yeah. so there was an act, and I won't mention her name, like she and I laugh about it now, but. Um, she and I were like sewing some costumes or something uh, because we had to, you know, we all had to learn like some other skill in, in the theater school. And so we were like sewing some costumes and um, she was like, yeah, I have this uh, monologue that I'm doing an acting class on Friday. And yeah, I didn't read the whole play, but um, you know, I think the monologue's going really well. And I went, you didn't read the whole play. You know, like yeah. I was like, you're going to a theater school like and she's like no I mean it's like a two and a half minute monologue I get the character I'm just gonna do the monologue and I was like <gasps> like my Blast eyeballs popped me. up my head you know that emoji yeah. <laughs> you know I couldn't I was like what kind of school is this so um I just I was gripping too tightly to yeah. to art and so when I graduated I was horrified that I was auditioning for McDonald's commercials. And I was like, when do I get to do the real stuff? You know, yeah. and I was auditioning for sitcoms and stuff like that. And um, later on, years later, I would get into doing stand-up comedy. I would just feel drawn to it. Like, like, like having a disease where you have to like move towards the medicine. Um, but I think when I graduated from college, I thought I would be like a serious, like regional theater actress. Like I yeah. really wasn't interested in TV and film. I wanted the art of it all, but I was like, oh, it's really expensive to move. I'll stay here. Um, didn't like it. So I moved to Chicago for like a year. Didn't like the weather. Oh, the weather. Liked everything else. Yeah, it's a great place. The weather is I mean, tough though. The weather That's is there. tough. Whew. Well, yeah. and please, I was a little thin skinned California girl. So I yeah. moved promptly moved back to Los Angeles and started slugging away again and, you know, booked some stuff and became SAG and uh, started, you know, booking some stuff, but it never really felt, um, I had a, I had real problems with putting myself out there and sustaining and dealing with rejection and then dealing with staying calm and grounded when I would have a success and really what it all boils down to, because we don't have all night, is um, I had a lot of unhealed trauma uh -huh. um, and a lot, of, a lot of stuff that I wasn't, wasn't really dealing with. I got very depressed. Um, I was on medication for a really long time, uh, for depression and anxiety. Like I was such an anxious person. Mm -hmm. And finally, at some point, you know, friends and, and the boyfriend I was with were, were like, ah, like, go get some therapy, go learn to meditate. Like, <clears throat> I was like, okay. So, so as I started, um, you know, dealing with my shit yeah. and, and sitting and learning meditation, I started learning Buddhism. So is that what you started um, with learning Buddhism? I just dove right in uh, to Mahayana Theravada Buddhism. And then later on Vajrayana Tibetan Buddhism, um, 
but uh, yeah, and, and immediately it was like, I totally, this, you're speaking the language, I'm coming home to myself, this feels right. And um, so, so things, things started looking up for me <laughs> when I started meditating, being in therapy, getting proper trauma therapy, especially somatic therapy, because trauma lives in the body. What's, what um, is that exactly, somatic therapy? It's just, it's, it's, um, it's working with um, your awareness uh, uh, of the body uh, so that um, you can release whatever frozen holdings you have in your, in your body. Because really what happens is we dissociate when we have trauma, especially when we have trauma as a young child. We're sort of walking through the world kind of like not really in our body. So it helps kind of melt that, those frozen places within so you can really land in your body. And it also actually releases trauma um, from your, you know, your nervous system, your spine, actually uh, your pelvic region all holds the memory of trauma. It holds the memory of like holding and bracing, mm -hmm. uh, either needing to flee or fighting or freezing. And, um, and so to, to get people rooted in their body, to be able to feel their emotions in their body, because oftentimes people will feel, let's say, sad, and immediately they go into their mind with a story about the sadness. Mm -hmm. So they become mental with it. And immediately people will want to stop the sadness or create a narrative that something is wrong with them or their life because they're sad rather than just, just fucking feel sad. Mm -hmm. And how we can often do that is by bringing our attention to the body. So when I work with people often, I'll, as people start to get emotional, I'll tell people like, well, where do you feel that emotion in your body? And what does it feel like? Is it warm? Is it cool? Does it move? Is it still? Is it, you know, if it had a color, what would it have? Um, this is one way of working with it, but, um, there are there are many, um, but yeah, just just getting getting the body on board so that we're not just um, with a really revved up nervous system where brain activity is just like firing all the time. Um, <sighs> really getting getting Did in the body. You, were you getting into comedy at that same time, or were you into it before then? Or um, I had been I. Um, I had been doing comedy probably since my 20s. I mean, I kept getting cast in comedies, but doing stand-up, stand that was, um, I, I like to tell people that uh, around the same time I got into Buddhism, I got into stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. um, and it was like this pull towards both, like where your you purpose. Do you find that about stand-up comedy, that it is a, um, a kind of spiritual journey as well? Well, I think everything is a spiritual journey. Yeah. Ooh, um, no, I you, you know, it's, it's all, I mean, it's all, it's all that with a capital T, right? Uh -huh. And it's all grist for the mill to, to move deeper into presence and into our true nature and not, uh, you know, our, our, our mental psychological self with its, all its grippings and its ideas of the way life is supposed to be, ah, to really sink into um, something more vast and true within us. Um, I think doing stand-up comedy is a wonderful, I mean, I wouldn't tell people like, hey, go out and do stand-up comedy as your spiritual practice necessarily, unless they felt called to it. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but I think there's something about being very present on stage. You have to be spontaneous. You have to be present. You can't, you can't be in your head. You can't be mentalizing everything. You have to really be there with mm -hmm. people. Um, 
but at the same time, it's also very mental because you're using words and concepts and a type of communication that's very verbal and mental and intellectual. So it also can be a trap. So I, I, you know, I come across a lot of comics who are kind of trapped in their minds and kind of trapped in their uh, ideas that they have to be full of angst and anxiety and miserable in order to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I actually find in the comedy world, people are a little more miserable um, than like actors. Have you found that? Yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, I used to go yeah. to a place called Marty's, which was a place, I don't know if you've ever been there. It was on Sunset and uh, it was a place, it, I don't think it's there anymore, but this great yeah. guy, Marty, he ran it. And it was, every single night you could go there and do comedy and oh. paid five bucks and you wait and you do It's comedy. like an open mic kind of thing. Yeah, or... It was an open mic. And awesome. It was like one of the places where I really kind of worked things out when I first started doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it was really depressing and everybody was really depressed there. And most of the time when you got up there to do your comedy, nobody was paying attention. People were standing in the back. Yeah. Just kind of doing your thing. Um, and uh, I was like, I finally like kind of had to get out of there because I was like, well, this is uh, not good for my mental state. Ah, um, well, that's so, good that you have that kind of inner compass where you're like, hmm, maybe this is actually a, a uh, weight, an albatross around my neck rather sometimes than... Sometimes in comedians to think that that's just part of being a comedian is that you have to be depressed all the time. Yes. And I yes. think that it actually, like you said, it fuels it. But there are also actors like that too that think they have to have all this drama in their life in order to have be able to present drama on the stage. Or yeah, it's a it's an illusion. It's a you know we're all buying into some sort of illusion about you know how how, how things are you yeah. know. And that's what I loved about Buddhism because it was about you know it is about peeling away the layers to get at uh, true nature, your true nature, and the true nature of reality. But I think that that's true about being an actor or being a comedian as well, is that the more you get to who you actually are and peel away these layers, the more interesting it is. Yeah, I mean, then you're a clearer vessel, you know, a container or, or, or a, you know, channel for, for emotions, for, you know, stories, for, you know, if I'm on stage and I'm, you know, ranting about something as a comedian, I'm not, I'm not really angry. I may have had a moment of, whoa, you know, when I wrote it, but, you know, I'm a, cha- I'm a channel for it. Yeah. I'm a channel for human emotions and stories, you know? So and, you help other people with their own, you know, their own crap. journey or their own crap. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Their own crap. What are the techniques that you use now to do that? I mean, I know I've heard that you do Reiki. I don't even know what Reiki is. Maybe yeah, Reiki. yeah. Um, but there's, so, you know, different things that you do to help people with their crap. Well, uh, I'm an artist and a mystic. <clears throat> I think they're kind of one and the same. So, you know, mystics are usually kind of tuned into like other dimensions than just this one because there's so much more um, to us and to the world mm-hmm. than what we see. Um, so, um I do a number of things. Um, I, I teach very kind of basic meditation, like mindfulness-based meditation to companies mm-hmm. and um, to kind of the average person who just wants to sleep better at night. And that was my thing is I just wanted to like have less anxiety and sleep better at night. And uh, I got way more than I asked for. Um, 
So, so really what I enjoy doing is working with people, not that I don't enjoy, you know, teaching meditation at companies, but um, I work one-on-one and with, and in groups with people who want to realize their true nature as the Buddha called it um, and see through the bullshit of their mind and, um, and, and connect with that deep core of stillness and spaciousness and silence within so that they can, they can be a channel for this human life. And along the way, people really need to, to heal their crap. So it's, you know, what's standing in the way of realizing your true nature or what's standing, what's obscuring your spirit or your true nature or your true essence from shining? Well, it's often trauma. It's conditioning. It's, uh, you know, uh, collective conditioning that we absorb. Like, this is the way the life is. This is what women are like. This is what men are like. This is what, you know, um, all the conditioning that we, that we you know, accumulate, um, along with the, the various ideas that we have about ourselves. You know, the Buddha was all about, you know, discovering that you're not who you think you are. Well, one of the things that really got me a while back, I started kind of really looking at um, figuring, some, figuring out my crap, like a few years ago. Yeah. I was just in a bad place. And um, I couldn't, I, I just didn't think people were seeing me the way I saw myself. Yeah. And uh, I was just like, it's like I got off the path somehow. I, uh-huh. I just looked down and I was like, where the heck am I? And one of the things that really rang true to me was this idea that I'm not my thoughts. Yeah. That like blew my mind. There you go. Mm-hmm. You know? So That's the start. what do you think? There's like the watcher, which is the, I guess it's you essentially. And you're watching your thoughts. Is there a separation between you and your thoughts? Or how do you look at the, the actual core that you were saying, which is you? What is that exactly to you? Well, we can intellectually understand, you know, these spiritual teachings, mm-hmm. right? These deeper spiritual teachings that you're talking about. And then we can have realizations and direct experiences of it. So, um, so I teach from my experience. I don't, I'm not a real textbook, but um, how I experienced, how I have experienced is there was a phase where I became the witness where this mental image of myself dissolved and what was left was just me as awareness, mm-hmm. knowing myself as awareness. And that was kind of a long phase of feeling like the witness, the witness to thoughts, the witness, but that also has separation there because ultimately you want to move toward unity consciousness and even beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, and unity consciousness is when there, you know, there's a, there's um, the boundaries between inside and outside and you and me dissolve. Mm-hmm. And so you still know yourself as awareness, but you also know yourself as everything too. Well, that's the thing. Okay. So yeah, people talk about a oneness and how an enlightened person perhaps might be a person who sees beyond their own ego and their own self, sense of self to a higher plane where we are all connected and we are all the same. We are all one. Is this what you're talking about? And so what you're describing sounds like a transcendent experience. Mm-hmm. So seeing beyond, right, who we think we are and seeing beyond the mind. But, but when that has been realized, that's, then that's just your lived, that's your locus of perception. Have you ever experienced that in your life where you see beyond yourself and see to a oneness or a unity in, in, in the, I don't know what you would even call it, the world, I guess? The yeah. World? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it was it a momentary thing or did you suddenly, once you went across that threshold, your life, your whole life be changed and permanently? Like well, Eckhart Tolle, you know how Eckhart Tolle <clears throat> like was sitting on a bench, had a, some kind of mental breakdown and all of a sudden his world changed permanently. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, if you were to do a deep dive on my website and stuff, you'd find that, um, yes. And I was like, oh, great. We're not going to talk about this. We're going to talk about comedy. But, um, but yes. So I had many moments of transcending the self, mm -hmm. transcending the ego. And then in stages, um, I had what could be called realizations that have been abiding and permanent. Um, which doesn't mean that somebody is finished, you know, yeah. uh, because often when somebody has a very profound awakening, like Eckhart Tolle, uh -huh. he's not talking about what happened after he had that night in his room where uh -huh. he said, I can't, I can't stand myself anymore. Yeah. And another part of him said, well, are there two of you? Who's right. the you you can't, can't stand right. or exactly. can't live with anymore? Exactly and it right. just went. Poof. Yeah. And so. And so when that happens, you know, the, the I, the me collapses in on itself as an actual direct experience. And when there is no filter of the self, then we can actually perceive that we are connected, that we are everything, that there is a, a substanceless substance, I guess you could say, that is the fabric of all of existence and that it includes us. We're not separate from it. And so, and so that's what I help people with. So I help people, I'm, I'm kind of an awakening guide for people who've had some sort of, you know, a glimpse of that yeah. and are on the path or have had a, a, a profound realization. But, you know, just because somebody has realized that and it is, um, uh, uh, of, of has radically changed them, there's cleanup work that needs to be done because then all your conditioning comes to the surface. So, so years ago, about, about 10 years, oh, a little over 10 years ago, there, there was that initial see, seeing through of the self. Um, there were other, you know, uh, steps that followed after that. Um, but so much stuff came forward after that, that first awakening, that first realization. Um, because now, now you're just a huge, you've, you've, you've realized yourself to be something so vast that all your junk just bubbles up and it's like okay now you get to deal with me you oh. know oh really i thought maybe yeah. all that stuff would fall away no there are a lot oh, of myths oneness, so there's not i don't have right problems. right right no yeah. there's a there are a lot of myths about about awakening and about the stages of awakening but um but yeah it's you know you you just you do cleanup work you know so a lot of the healing work i do is i, I work with people who who have, have been having at least a, you know, deep experiences on the path, or they actually want that, you know? And so, so it's my job to continually direct them towards, towards their true nature. And you know, there, there's your true nature, and then there's also the crap that obscures it. Mm -hmm. so, so, you, so I feel, and how I work is I work with both, continually pointing and guiding and holding a space mm -hmm. for people to fall deeper into their true nature while also holding a space for people to sort of sort through and heal, um, you know, what tends to obscure it and what arises that, that has been, you know, really chunky for them. Do you have you know? anxiety or do you ever have anxiety? 
Not anymore. Yeah, that went away. Did yeah. you have anxiety before? Pretty heavy anxiety? Dude, like, yeah. Like, as I said, like, I was medicated yeah. for 10 years. I had depression. I had because you had depression, anxiety. And depression, anxiety. Stuff. Yeah, so much trauma, so much unhealed trauma. And so I got off, you know, antidepressants and stuff when I started meditating and I still had anxiety. I just wasn't medicated. <laughs> and uh, say to people that um, maybe are having anxiety, especially like now, yeah. um, you know, what is a good first step? To gotcha. Um, well, you know, I always like to remind people that the mind is not a reliable narrator. Um, you, you just stop believing everything your mind tells you and get in your body and feel what you're actually feeling. Because when I, I used to have such debilitating anxiety and when I stopped trying to control it or get rid of it or, or indulging these narratives, these storylines about what I was experiencing, I'm gonna feel like this forever, it's never gonna go away, oh my God, this means my life is horrible, oh my God, whatever the narratives are, right? The more I could just let it, um, let beating heart be, let hot, you know, heat rushing up, let it, let it just be. Racing thoughts, okay, racing thoughts, racing thoughts. And, and to be with it, a bit of what you were saying about being the witness to it, you know, not in a disembodied way, but, but everything that arises, all the sensations, all the stories, to, to just to be the space that holds for all of it to be there. and. And this was early in my path when I found that I stopped fighting my anxiety attacks so much. Just, okay, they're just sensations. And I would just let, let them roll through like, like waves. And, um, you know, I, I would do a, a type of breathing exercise, which, you know, I, I teach to people, which really, I saw something that you did where you were like, hey, everybody, I'm Joel. Breathe in, hold, every show. slowly yeah. exhale. Yeah. So when we're breathing in, especially into the belly, and we're holding, and then if you can keep your belly still kind of fat as you slowly, slowly exhale, and this is that's the key to just slowly exhale, you stimulate the vagal cranial nerve, and it, it hacks into your nervous system. What? And you, and you can calm down more. But, you know, I think it's really important that, you know, if you're having anxiety to have faith that whatever you're experiencing is going to pass and to be the space in which everything can just arise in a be loving towards whatever arises, you know, I think that's probably the same with emotions too, right? I mean, like same with emotions, like sad, maybe you should just see, let's just see what sad is like. Guys, sometimes I think there's sad shaming where people are like, oh, I can't be sad. Why are you sad? Why do you come on? Be happy. But maybe you just need to kind of go through that. It's a really good point. If you just look at sadness, there's no, and then don't layer some cognitive thing on top of it. Judgment just, on it or something. Yeah, it's just pure sadness. I found out somebody that I'm close with died today. Oh. And I immediately just like felt the sadness and moved through it. And the person I was talking with was like, are you okay? Do you need to reschedule our call? Are you? I was like, no, like I'm, I'm okay. Cause I know how to, like I know how to hold a space for my, my sadness. And you know, sometimes, you know, you want to be sad. Like you listen to sad songs or you see sad movies and you have emotions yeah. about them and you don't necessarily yeah. say, oh, that really sucked. Like sometimes it's okay. Right. Because there's no story about it. You're allowing yourself to feel yeah. 
um, your emotions yeah. and how wonderful that we get to feel emotions you know That's they don't the have cool to have the story about going to a movie theater and seeing a movie with a group of people is that everybody's having we're all having this experience together it's pretty cool that's right think about it all right well i think yeah. we better cut it off but um this is i know we've been talking a while super interesting and this is a great way to end our our week here yeah. on self-improvement our next week is a, is paranormal week oh cool so if you have any paranormal stories that you want to tell uh, well i have worked as a psychic and a medium so okay. um who knows i might <laughs> I might have to hop on. All right. Okay. Thank you so much, Sarah Taylor, for being Thank on the show. Thank you. This was super enlightening and beautiful. So thanks. So good to see all of you who I'm not seeing, but I can imagine. <laughs> Bye, Joel. Thanks. Bye.